Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Eatla, Drinkla, and Chipsla. Eatla makes the most delicious salted egg rice box in Indonesia. So get them today in your favorite food delivery app. My personal favorite is the salted egg dory. The fish is always fresh and you're not gonna be disappointed. Get yours today. Eatla. My guest today is Sutra Anjani. Sutra is a marine biologist who studied at UCLA and the University of Queensland and she's super passionate about the environment and conservation. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Cool. Okay, we're gonna start with icebreakers. Oh, I saw your old videos. All the icebreakers questions are so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're prepared. (laughs) I I guess you're ready for all of them. But depending on your know, question it's, 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 it's good to know each other you know um break the eyes when people get to know you okay yeah okay just name um give me one word uh when you when you the first thing you come up with this underwater diving <laughs> mangroves ocean dogs family <laughs> Cooking. Hobby. Mm. Cool. Great. Now we're going to have like more um, answers. You can answer longer for, 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 for the next questions. Okay. What's a drink that describes you? A drink that describes me? Uh... It can be a beverage. It can be a cocktail or, um, you know, Every day you think about life, you're drinking it. Every day I think about life, I'm drinking it. Uh, Water. (laughs) No, well, water is so boring, but it's healthy. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Nixie. That's a a really hard question. What would you be? Uh, Coffee. Why? Bitter and... (laughs) You're saying you're bitter. <laughs> Opinionated. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, water is essential, and a lot of people answer so water. Boring. No, I'm not. I'm not water. I'm. I don't know. I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's one thing you, you can eliminate from the world? What's one thing that you will want to eliminate if you can from the world? Oh, one thing that I would want to eliminate in the world. Anything. Could be anything. Sickness, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Sickness. Diseases. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the world would be better without it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> with the current times and you know, people come and go, it's you know, makes yep. life more, more valuable. Yeah. No corona. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, speaking of, you know, the current times, let's get back to um the the younger sutra. Where did you come from? Um where 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 did you grow up? Where okay, so I was born in Jakarta. I came from I'm come from Jakarta. I grew up in Jakarta, so I'm Jakarta. 
And school-wise, where did you go for high school? High school, I went to Tirta Marta, BPK Penabur, in Pondok Indah. It's a private Christian school. I was there from, actually from playgroup until SMA. Till I, until SMA 2. Um, and then I moved to the States for college. Um, yeah, so I went to one school my whole life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I saw your grades. They're excellent. Um, I mean, not your actual my, grades, but you have like scholarships and honors. Were you always a high achiever? <laughs> in, uh, I think when I was in elementary school, grade three, four, five, I was pretty good. Like I was top five of the class probably almost every year. But in, in middle school and high school, I was not. And... To be frank, I didn't really study anything in high school. <laughs> like we literally just played and you know, hang out with friends. And really going to school is just hanging out with friends. It's like, well, this is gonna be on YouTube, so I can't really disclose too much. But um <laughs> but yeah, it was more like fun. Huh? You can if you want. I mean <laughs> No, it's gonna um ruin my reputation. <laughs> just kidding. But um, yeah, it was just fun. And then I think I got serious again when I moved to the U.S. for college. I went to the community college. And there, I literally didn't know anyone. I had no friends because it was a new town, new country. I was just living with my mom. So there, there's nothing more than I can do but study. So I started studying again. And yeah, my grades were good. And I think, I think this, the, the, the difference with the system in the U.S. and Indonesia, I don't know, I, I didn't go to college in Indonesia, but... um. I think the difference is in the U.S., if you really study, you can get good grades. You don't have to be a genius to get good grades because they're fair. They don't try to trick you. Like, they don't give you trick questions. They don't give you – they literally just test you on the things that they teach you in class. So, literally, if you go to class and you, you, know, you study and you do your assignments, you can do well. So, yeah. So, I think that's a big factor why my grades were okay. Why is education important to you? Honestly, it wasn't before. Before I went to university, I didn't understand why is it why it is important. I just went because it's just a, you know, it's like required for everyone to go to university. But it's required by my parents, basically, right? By our parents, we would have to go. But um, after gra- after graduating my after getting my bachelor my bachelor's degree, I really see university is much more than just acquiring knowledge. But then you learn the soft skills of life as well. Like um, you learn more than the knowledge and the theory you learn in, in, in uni. It's, it's more that you learn the, the mindset of, of, you know, how to tackle the world and how to ask the right questions and how to be able to learn yourself for your whole life. So it's not like, you know, I, I just remember when, when we were in uh, middle school, we literally just have to read a book, um, answer copy from the book literally we don't have to think about it we just have to memorize or just follow all the teachers instructions or whatever it's just like we're like robots but in uni i feel like we were given the passion and and, and the, the the motivation to do it ourselves so then after uni um we have the ability to be able to learn ourselves without the system without the you know the institution and the people so i think that's why it's important and um also networking because then you learn your social skills as well and you need you meet you literally meet the people that you will you will know the, for the rest you'll be you'll be friends or you will know for the rest of your lives in university 
So I think it's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of mindset is also being attracted to what you want to learn. And yeah. when did you decide or find out that you wanted to become a marine biologist? Mm. It wasn't a big, it wasn't a, it's not a big grand story actually. So basically I was in community college and I was taking all my general education, my general electives, right? And then I had to, after two years, I had to transfer to a, a, a four-year institution. So before that, I had to choose a major. Uh, and I asked my dad, what should I do? And I don't know what I like. I really like, I, I have, I don't know. I don't know what I want to choose. And then initially I wanted to do communications because that's the only thing that, you know, because everyone is doing it basically. And I'm like, oh, I'll just take communications. And then, and then I talked to it, talk about it with my dad. And then he's like, do you really like it? Uh, communications? It's good but it's not a specialized skills he said i remember that and mm -hmm. then he just basically his advice was just pick whatever whatever major that you like and then um so I, my family we are all scuba divers as you know mm -hmm. and then we started i started diving when i was 14 so when my dad said that literally in my mind it's just oh i like the ocean i like to play in the ocean i like to go diving and stuff so that's why I chose marine biology, not knowing what, I, what, I, what I'm going to do after graduation, not knowing what kind of jobs that they would offer from a major like that. But yeah, so I basically just choose whatever subject that I like so that I would enjoy my university years, in which I did very much. Wow. Wow. And you <laughs> mentioned diving, right? I mean, we can go hours on diving in the oh, yes. computer bit. Right. You too, right? Experience. <laughs> yeah, I love diving, sure. <laughs> um, I didn't know that your whole family um, are into diving, though. Um, did you have good memories yeah. of that? My mom and my dad started diving in 91, the year which I was born. So I actually know this story. My mom left me for a diving trip when I was two months old. <laughs> and back then it's like it's not a common thing right because i guess it's a little bit different than now now you can always you know like put your breast milk in the freezer or whatever yeah. i don't know how it is to 20 years ago but um he she did left me for a trip to papua actually mm. so they were very passionate in diving and my dad taught me really really early in, in our in our day yeah um when I, we were really young my, my brother too so all of us or the four of us are divers yeah I was lured into diving as well by my mm -hmm. ex-girlfriend, actually. Um, yeah. And, but I wouldn't know about it un unless someone you know, pulled me and checked, checked, it, checked it and um, encouraged me to see the beauty of it. But yeah. Okay. Um, I want to continue on your um, marine biology experience because you really like dive deep. You, you wrote reports, you know, you, you worked in, California Science Center and 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 really applied your knowledge and produce something and some knowledge you know for, for the community um, how does your educational experience uh, influence your career choices how does my educational experience influence my choices career oh my career influence my career uh, well can you repeat the question? I don't really get it. I mean, you could have gone to like, I don't know, consulting or you could have like dropped it and say, maybe I want to do business or, or maybe do um, 
masters, which you did, and or or pursue academia. But why did you like continue? Um, like you saw animals, you 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 know you you um you studied DNA or something. What made you um, attracted to to it professionally and perhaps you know um, earning um, something back from it? Okay, so it might sound a little bit corny, but I did have a principle um, where I don't want to work just for the money. So I always want to work for something first that I believe in, like a cause that I believe in, and then second is for for um, to work for something that can result change, can actually impact. Um, it doesn't have to be a big impact, but it can actually have a positive impact on people or on the environment or on society or whatever. But um, yeah, th those are my two principles that I hold dear until today. And it also makes a little, for me a little bit tougher to find a job basically, but you know, that's the, the risk that I'm, I'm willing to take because I'm a little bit more picky rather than just sending all my CVs to all the companies, you know, that, that's hiring. But um, I'm kind of like, you know, a little bit more picky in, in the companies that I would apply for, in which I still don't know whether that's a good idea or not, but you know, for now that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, so um, that's how I've been choosing my career path. And so I, my first job was with the Nature Conservancy. Um, it's, uh, I, I started as an intern and there I was just gathering data, compiling conservation data that would be useful for um, conservation managers and then after that I started um, I was hired by TNC the Nature Conservancy as a program mm -hmm. officer so basically helping the program managers you know implementing all the marine programs and then after that I was promoted to become a program um, uh, officer I, yeah program officer basically developing uh, and creating new programs for the marine um, department um, but yeah, so a lot of the programs that we created was conservation programs. And the, 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 my main program was Sea Turtle Conservation Program in um, East Nusa Tenggara. So that program, it was a small scale program, but um, uh, it was a small scale program, but it made a change, uh, a social change, a, a behavioral change in, the, in Kupang and in Rote Ndao, which is the island that I was working in, to change kind of their mindset in uh, where in, initially they were egg hunters, they, they, they collect the sea turtle eggs for food and to sell them and all those things um, without knowing the, the, the environmental impact of it. And TNC came in, our program came in to kind of help change that mindset. And there's also actually already a, a law from the 90s or something that uh, collecting sea turtle eggs are, are, are actually illegal, but there's no enforcement like, you know, a lot of laws in Indonesia. So that people, that so so people would, would were still stealing and like collecting the eggs. So that's one of the the program that we did. But yeah, so basically, a lot of my career choices was based on you know the 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 the, the amount of change or the the type of change that I can that I can result from that I can get from whatever I'm doing. And a lot of it is also passion. Like I wouldn't want to work, I wouldn't want to work in a department or in environment or in a field that I don't like, that I don't enjoy, because then if you live your whole life working, then you will live your whole life doing something you don't like. So that's the main principles that I hold on till today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, what's one thing that people don't get about conservation? I think 
mainly the benefits of it. Because people would think conservation is more like a restriction. Like, oh, you cannot eat this animal. Oh, you cannot um, kill this animal. Or you cannot eat this kind of plant. Or you cannot, you know, uh, cut the trees or, you know, the, cut the forest or whatever. They only, a lot of people only know the, the what not, what you're you're not supposed to do like all the restrictions on all the rules you know but but i think what a lot of people are missing and what a lot of honestly conservationists fail to do is to socialize the benefits the benefits of, of these conservation programs and the benefits is basically for us as well right it's not for the animals it's not for just the trees or the forest but it's for humans and human you know our future our, our planet right so i think the benefits part and also nowadays there's so many um, modelings, and there's so many. Um, there are basically so many formulas that you can do, you can use to evaluate conservation activities. So basically, if you um, conserve, say you conserve a specific um, a specific stretch of mangrove, say, then you can evaluate that conservation action in monetary value. So you actually get. Uh, economic value from conserving that those mangroves because a lot of um, ecosystems have ecosystem services which are benefits that these ecosystems give to us humans like mangroves uh, mangroves they um, protect coastlines from erosion or they protect um, coastlines from waves erosion from uh, storms from they also filter our water system they also um, function as our as a feeding ground, oh not feeding ground, sorry, um, nursery grounds for fishes. So if these mangroves are cut down or you know turned into roads or uh, real estate or whatever, we will lose all those ecosystem benefits from from mangroves. Hmm. Right. Um, you know when when we increase our level of conservation, things get impacted. Like you said, um, the economics get impacted. Um, how about um, tourism? Just as an example of an economic activity that usually is related to conservation, um, how is tourism affected when we increase the level of conservation? And what about the locals' activities, like the egg hunters? Do they have an alternative uh, sustenance? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the key, alternatives. So what we, as a conservationist, we we don't we we always try to 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 bring the most benefits out of our programs right we don't we don't we don't tell these people okay you cannot collect sea turtles eggs anymore and then that's it no we will give them alternatives first we'll give them understanding of why they they're not supposed to collect the sea turtle eggs but then we will give them alternatives of, of doing something more sustainable like in rote in rote island where i worked a few years ago uh the people that we um uh that we stop that we um what was i gonna say that we encourage to stop taking sea turtles eggs we gave them alternative livelihoods uh by um farming seaweeds in which they can dry up and they can sell to people and they actually have more money making seaweed farms than um gathering sea turtle eggs because sea turtle eggs is not all year round and then it's hard for them to find and because it's illegal, they have to sell it in an illegal market, and they have to, you know, be careful with the with the uh, police and everything. So we give them an alternative livelihood, as well as tourism. I feel, well, as we all know, there's so many ecotourism nowadays, and 
So what one of the things that we tried to do in Rotedao, and but but we haven't really done it because there was no funding, um, was instead of um, instead of gaining money from collecting sea turtles and eating them or selling them, we would conserve the sea turtles, the sea turtle beaches, the the the, the nesting beaches, and create a tourism, an ecotourism where tourists can actually view these turtles and view these turtles laying eggs uh, during the season. And we would train, you know, we would train the people, the local people of how to view sea turtle hatchings uh, correctly and appropriately so that we don't uh, disturb this, the process. And um, yeah, and that, that would generate more money, right? Instead of, um, instead of just collecting eggs, which are not sustainable. Yeah, yeah, especially the numbers are going down, right? Yeah. I remember in high school, we had a field trip to a turtle conservation area in Bali, and we released some turtles uh, in the beach, and one of my friends threw the baby turtle, and oh, no. <laughs> he, of course, got the end of the stick from the teachers, but <laughs> it was, you know, it was... Um, that was a funny experience to be honest but but the turtles are going down you know it's sad to see a species you know being wiped out yeah what and other what other areas um do you know that are facing maybe endangered species that we should be aware of you mean what other species yes uh well a lot a lot especially a lot like i cannot list all the endangered species out there but but yeah a lot a lot, a lot. i mean we've been humans have i mean population growth first of all the population in the world has been increasing 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 and then you know the natural resources has been pressured to to keep up with the population growth so that that's why a lot of um species are endangered because we're over har harvesting them so another example good example is sharks easy sharks we've been eating eating shark fins um so here's the thing like i'm not the kind of person who would um i'm not a vegan i'm not a vegetarian i'm not the kind of person who would not eat the animals i work with and uh, except except when it's unsustainable so like sharks some countries do eat sharks and it's okay some type of sharks are okay to harvest to fish and to kill and to eat but the problem with shark fin is that uh, these fishermen would catch the shark and cut the fin off and just throw the shark back into the ocean. So the amount of um, uh, the amount of uh, meat or shark or fins that they would get uh, from how I explain it. So so basically they would kill more sharks to get just the fins, right? Mm. If say a a country or a state would have regulation, okay, you can fish sharks, but you have to use all of it. You have to use their their meat, their bones, whatever. Then they wouldn't be able to fit in that many sharks in their boat, right? But if they only keep the shark fins in their boat, they can kill a hundred sharks in a day. Their boats would still have rooms left. So that's the problem. That's the unsustainable part of it, because you are just harvesting the fin. You kill more sharks than you can than you can consume because you throw away the body back into the ocean. So that's why it's an unsustainable harvest, and that's why parks numbers are declining all over the world hmm. do you think policymakers know these costs of you know degradation 
Yes, of course. Because um, the science is there. The, 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 the research are out there. Because there's so many research already, research already saying how much would it cost to kill, I don't know the numbers exactly, but this is just an example, okay? So say if you kill one shark, you will get $200 from that one shark if you sell the meat or in the fins in the market, say, that is $200. But then the shark will be dead, and then that's it, one-time use, right? If you conserve the shark and let the shark live and reproduce, you will get, say, $1,000 from that one shark from tourism. So those things are already calculated, well calculated, and presented to policymakers. And it's a strong argument why conservation should be done. But the problem with as, as conservationists, we are not policymakers and we don't have the decision, the, the ability to make those decisions and make those policies. So all we can do is just recommend. So I think that's one of the you know, drawbacks of, of working in this field. You see a lot of those in the field. But yeah, so I think, I'm sure they know because they have the information out there and it's easy to find. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Good point. Hey, let's get back to your uh, education. You, in, for your master's, you took, um, please tell me the, the degree that you got. It sounds so it's, fancy. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's resource use uh, and environmental economics. So you're basically merging economics with, environmental management you're okay. not merging you're using economics for environmental management okay what um can you can you give us an example of a case study that you studied and that, that we should know about okay sense. so basically a lot of environmental issues are also economic issues okay, okay. so say um why is that because, so for example, say you have pollution, right? Pollution is an environmental issue. Air pollution. Mm. Air pollution is an environmental issue uh, where, say, in, uh, factories would produce um, stuff, they would produce their products, and then they would pollute the air while producing the, those products, right? Mm. Now, those products, say it's a, it's a glass. Say we're producing a glass. Say those glass, production cost of those glass is $1 for one glass, for example, right? So that's the private cost that companies would incur in producing that one glass, right? But they don't take into consideration the fact that when they produce that one glass for $1, they, have, they produce pollution in which also incur a cost to the society, health cost, yeah, right? Health costs, mostly health costs, because if you have pollution, you get sick, and then you have to um, go to the doctor to, to get healthy. Or you can also be a, a, a maintenance cost, say if there's more pollution, you know, buildings uh, degrade even faster or whatever. But, and there's also aesthetic costs, say if there's pollution, you have a 30, you have an apartment like yourself in, in, in a, you know, 30th floor, and then you cannot see the the view you know those are all costs in economics everything is a cost right there's cost and benefit so these this um, factory doesn't incur doesn't include that that social cost in the production cost of the glass so that's called an external externality right mm -hmm. 
So that's why an environmental issue like pollution is an economic issue because the, the economics of this, this the, 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 you know, the cost and benefit of this factory doesn't include the social cost. So that's, that's where economics can be used to uh, solve environmental problems. For example, like plastic bags. Plastic bags now is a, is a, it's an environmental problem around the world, right? Plastic waste in the ocean, uh, in rivers and whatever. That's also the same. So instead of air pollution, we say plastic pollution. So a lot of these factories um, create plastics without including the social cost of, of selling those plastics to consumers because, um, you know, it's just not, you know, it's not the, the, the norm. So what government would do is incur a tax, right? So tax is an economic instrument that can be used to solve environmental problems. Say now for plastic bags, you have to pay 200 rupiah or whatever, right, in supermarkets. So they do use this, that, that those financial uh, 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 descent, uh, you know, yeah. those, those tax, yeah, mm -hmm. descent, yeah. Um, to, to reduce the use of plastic bags. But then, then the key is, is to, to put the right amount of tax where it can actually discourage people from using plastic bags. But now because it's 200, I feel it's too low because nobody would you know, care to spend 200 rupiah for a plastic bag. So yeah, that's what I learned in my major. So basically using economics to, be, to, to, to solve environmental problems. Same with climate change. Climate change is a classic environmental problems with carbon um you know um with carbon trading and everything so that's the 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 the, the field that i would want to work in right now yeah i think many people will benefit knowing the economic cost of their activities because it's not just the cost that incurs to that particular product but it's also to society to the environment yeah knowing all of them will will definitely help and you know ignorance is not bliss in the environment you gotta know what you're producing you know it's going to affect um, the world it's, yeah it's, i was reading um um not watching a podcast actually about the animal industry like like cows you know how how they are treated in the supply chain and how much mm -hmm. water they consume to be able to yeah support the the factories it's insane you know yeah um, and how much waste they create yeah um, they take up a lot of environment and, and, and you know i wish we could we could do more on that but what what do you think about the alternative beef movement <laughs> i've never actually tried any but i I've, I've read about them the impossible burger and I think they're making beef out of petri dish right now. Like they meet, make the yeah, like like a lab. You know the 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 lab the petri lab. dish that we use in high school in high school. Like yeah, so basically they they're growing beef in a lab. Uh, I forgot the name of the company who does that, but yeah, no, I've never actually tried them. But some some of my friends said that Impossible Burger, uh, if it's if it's like a. No, but, but I'm not going to review the taste of it. But it, you were asking about what I think about them. Yeah. Have you tried it? Uh, <laughs> not right. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. I think I don't have enough knowledge to comment on that. But basically, it has to do with how they make it too. Like, 
but I guess it, it must. So what, what I was thinking is that we have to compare the footprint that how to the footprint of creating alternative beef and the footprint of the carbon footprint of creating just normal beef. Yeah. But I'm sure alternative beef is it's it's lower because you're not actually growing cows and you know farming cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's very interesting to try, but I haven't tried it. <laughs> yeah. What about synthetic food to, you know, create a substitute for exotic foods? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about it. I don't. Yeah, again, I think I would compare. I would have to know how they make those synthetic foods. But what kind of synthetic foods are, are there? I would eat synthetic shark fin soup. Oh, like those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've tried synthetic shark fins. I mean... How does it taste? I've tried... It, so, okay, so I'm a Chinese. I'm, I come from a Chinese family, so my family does eat shark fin soup. Not that often anymore, thank God, because I, you know... I can't, I can't really tell my parents, not, 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 not my parents, my parents don't really eat shark fin, but my uncles and my grandmas and whatever, but they won't listen to me because I'm just a little kid for them, but whatever. But yeah, so I, we used to eat it when I was a kid, we eat it and it was really good because of the soup, you know, the broth of the shark fin, the, the brown broth. So that was really good. But I feel like if you isolate just the shark fin, it would taste like rubber, like plastic, like, you know, it's like, clear like je- no, no no like jello gitu kan like you know yeah the- like jelly yeah yeah it yeah, does it, tastes like- it does would it would taste like any other thing without the spice yeah and i tried the synthetic one i couldn't tell the difference because hmm. the broth was really good so <laughs> yeah 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 yep they are they are <laughs> hey can you tell me about dna extraction what what is that you Say this in your... Uh, uh, it was my research for my bachelor's. I don't really... That's not really my expertise. But um, basically, it's just... So what, what, what my research was, I was helping a PhD student doing their research. So it, was, it wasn't my own research. But basically, the genetic, um, the genetic research in marine environment is basically to see... Uh, that specific research that I'm doing is to see a speciation. So basically... Uh, okay, I don't want to try. I don't want to make it too complicated. How do I explain it? So I was I was um, studying nudibranchs. You know nudibranchs, the the colorful. Oh, they cute. Nudibranchs, yeah. yeah. So nudibranchs live on coral coral heads, right? They live. They would live just on one coral because they're very small and they're very slow. They would just live on that coral and just live their whole life in that coral. They would move maybe you know a few meters the uh, radius of the area, but not a lot, not far. So what I did what the PhD student and I was helping did was um, basically we'd compare uh, the same species of nudibranchs that lives in two different coral species. And then we would see... Say again, two different nudibranchs, same species, different corals? Yes, so the same species of nudibranchs that lives on different corals, you know, maybe one from coral in Bali and one in, in a coral in in the Philippines, say, but the same species, the same species, right? And then we would uh, do a lab experimentation using DNA, extra- DNA ex- extraction is where you actually have to kill the nudibranchs, so, sorry to say. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> you have to kill it. Uh, if, it's, if it's fish, you can just do a fin clip, but because nudibranchs is so small, you have to kill the, the nudibranchs. 
But um, so you basically do a DNA extraction to basically just diluting the DNA into a, a like a liquid form, um, where you can um, um, you can replicate it through PCR process, in which what we're doing now with coronavirus with the PCR test, and then you can see the DNA sequence from it. So what they were doing is to see if the same species of nudibranchs live in different coral heads. Would there would, would there be a, a, a divergent in their species in their genetic sequence that would lead to different to the same species being two different species? You know what I mean. So that's that's how evolution. That's how that's how um, that's the theory of the. I'm like talking about a lot of jargon here, but you you you're um okay. you're uh, <laughs> you're uh, familiar with the coral triangle, right? Um, the, the is it, is it between Philippines and Thailand or to all the way to Indonesia? Is that it? Yeah, so basically it's just an area like it, it's kind of a triangle that has the highest uh, species diversity, in, uh, marine species diversity uh, compared to the world. So that's the coral triangle and Indonesia is one of it. Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand. Oh, not Thailand. Indonesia, Philippines, uh, that triangle area basically. But um, so that's the, one of the reasons why they, scientists believe that one of the reasons why coral triangle is so high in diversity is because one of the, the mechanism is that slow speciation because they were, they're isolated in their own coral heads and then the other nudibranch is isolated in their coral heads and they're feeding on different things. They can, they can eventually become two different species. You know what I mean? Wow, wow. So they're so, so much like, but they're different. Maybe one likes to play soccer outside and the other <laughs> likes to play soccer inside. But they look the same. Yeah, yeah. so that's basically it. So there's, there's, uh, there's a divergence in their genetic sequence. Maybe, maybe, maybe in their, in their um, colors and the shape of their body is not different. But if we see the genetic sequence, there, there can be divergence in different nudibranchs in different populations. So that's right. what, that, what they were doing. Yeah. Right. It was very, very micro scale research in which I'm not a big fan of. That's why I didn't really pursue it. <laughs> well, cool, cool. Well, Nudie Branch, I have to say personally, it's one of the most beautiful species um, in the world. Yeah. You look at it close, My favorite species to look at it. And I mean, um, maybe th there are some someone who, who, who don't know it yet, who don't know them yet. Nudie Branch, when you look it up close, it's it looks so different than they are when we look at it with our naked eye, especially if you use the macro lens. Yep. The colors just come out, the tentacles just wiggle around. They're, they're amazing. Yeah. And they're the best species to take picture because they just stay still there. <laughs> right. The picture is so easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, the, this career and education, it takes a lot of you, you know, physically and mentally, physically, how do you keep uh, grounded with yourself and with all this happening? How do you keep grounded? Well, first of all, the fact that I actually like the, 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 the topics and the subjects I'm learning, I'm actually enjoying it. You know, I, I, don't, I don't force myself to study these things. I don't have to force myself to to memorize these things. Like you know, like I li I literally want to know about these things my whole life. You know, like it's those those the fact that I'm passionate about it drives me even further. But um, 
but of course with university um there's always challenges with the exams and all the assignments piling up and the stress of being away from people living on your own you know all those stress in the university of course of course are always there and for me it's an easy answer for me basically i didn't i'm a christian so i didn't rely on my own strength but i rely on, on god's strength so throughout my university years i can say that i enjoy every part of it because it wasn't just me, you know, I'm, I, I rely, I literally just surrender to God. Like the fact that I got a scholarship for my master's was also a miracle. Like when I applied, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't, I didn't imagine getting it at all. Cause I was just, Oh, I'll just apply and see. And if I don't get it, I'll just don't take my master's. Um, but then I got it. And then it was such an amazing scholarship and all those process from the application to submission to interview throughout my master's degrees, all like God's grace. There's a lot of interviews, right, for a scholarship. There's interviews for the scholarship, interviews for maybe school. Is it is it the Robert D. Daly Memorial Scholarship? Oh no, no, no. That's the that's for my community college. The scholarship was the Austrian Awards Austrian Awards Scholarship. AAIS. Wow. Oh great. Um so how would you suggest people who will want to pursue their passion? Any recommendation for them? Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Really, just do it. Like, just try. Because the worst thing that could happen is just you don't get it. But if you don't try, you will never know, right? That's what I did. I literally just tried. And I got it. Then I'll just I go with it. <laughs> and um, And also, don't be... I feel like I, feel, I, I, I keep going back to surrender. Like I don't, I don't want to be too ambitious, but I do want to have a goal. I want to have a purpose. I want to have a standard that I have for myself, but I don't want also to be too ambitious where if I don't get it, I will you know, die literally or be super disappointed or just be, you know, super depressed, but no. So I literally just surrender to God and see, okay, God, I want to do this. Um, help me, give me strength and I will try my best and I will let you do the rest. And literally, that's, that's, that's my mindset for the whole years of my education. Okay, cool. Well, um, before we go, we wanna look into um, what shall we do as a group um, to the world, like how to improve um, our lifestyle. Um, I know you're doing a lot of plastic management at home, you know? Um, <laughs> That's really cute. I try to. Um, well, um, is that something um, that's doable or is it difficult to do? It's so doable, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so doable. Like separate hmm? the plastics from 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 the non-plastics, and and then where do we discard it to? To anyone? To any um, garbage man or? So okay, so. It's harder here in Indonesia because there's no recycling system going just yet. Like in Australia, all you have to do is just separate your garbage to two different containers and the, the government would, not the, yeah, the, the state would just recycle it for you. But here there's none. So we have to actively look for um, organizations or look for, you know, in NGOs or whatever that actually collect your trash and would recycle them or reuse them. And that's what I did. Uh, I did it with KDM Green Project, 
um, basically they empower street children, street kids, um, street teenagers that has no jobs, no school or whatever, and they empower them to work for KDM Project by sorting through the trash that they collect and um, using them to make, say, wine bottles into glasses or, you know, our leftovers, um, molto or, or sunlight, you know, refill plastic into bags um, and then sending the recycled uh, papers, used papers to recycle, uh, to factories that would recycle them and all those things. So they work with other um, institutions. So KDM Green Project would work with other institutions as well. They would, they would collect some paper or would collect some PET bottles or some collect glass bottles, you know, those things. So just find a, a reputable um, uh, a company or a, an organization that would collect your trash. And now it's actually convenient for me that one of my, um, one of the RT near my house is also separating their trash, their trash in their whole RT. Yeah, so a lot of people are, do, are, 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 are doing a lot of, are doing, um, are separating their trash. Um, so I can just give my trash to those RT and they would give it to, to uh, you know, a company that would recycle them or reuse them. So yeah, it's so easy. You, you basically just separate your, your um, food waste, because food waste cannot be, um, can't be recycled. So you recycle your uh, plastic trash, your paper trash, um, and your uh, glass glass can um, um, metal. So I, for me, plastic, glass, metal are all in one container. Paper is in one container, and food waste. Now, food waste is um, if you have a lot of food waste, it's good for you to compost to make a compost bin, so you can use them again as a compost fertilizer, right? Instead of um, throwing it out into the trash and it's get into, it gets dumped into a landfill and it's not good. So that's what I did. I have a compost bin, but it's easy for me because there's only two people living in my house. It's only me and my husband. So we don't have a lot of food waste. So we just dump them into one compost bin, mix them around and just leave it there. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Last question. Where would you dive next? <laughs> oh, Banda, man. Have you been? No. no. Sharks? You have? No. Oh. Yeah. Hammerheads. Schooling hammerheads. That would be sick, wouldn't Banda. it? But I heard it's deep, right? You have to go like 30 meters or something. Yeah. And you have to do a liveaboard because it's in the middle of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. Banda. Mm -hmm. But hammerheads. Yeah, schooling hammerheads. And they said in Banda, the hammerheads is pretty shallow. I saw schooling hammerheads in Malaysia, I think, a few years ago. We were at 40 meters, like, wow. in which we, were, we weren't allowed, we weren't supposed to be. But they were there, so we had to go down because they were like literally below us. But um, in Banda, I heard it's pretty shallow. Like they could, have, they could actually go through uh, coral reefs where you can see them up close. So, yes, we should go. <laughs> love to, would love to. How about, how about outside of Indonesia? Any, any plans or any, you know, some of the destinations mm. in the outside are pretty interesting to look at. Too. Yes, yeah, definitely. But I think I want to exhaust all the li my lists in Indonesia first. And then I go, might not be a good plan. Because people say Indonesia is the best. So, so if you've dived all over Indonesia and then you go you know in another country you'd be disappointed but i don't know the only i've only dived other than indonesia i only dive in malaysia california which is interesting 
but different ecosystem, but interesting. And Australia, that's it. <laughs> and for and, and for now, Indonesia is still the best for me. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said, right? The ecosystems. I mean, for one thing that I love about diving, seeing the animals. Like I love animals. Um, yeah. Galapagos would be super. <gasps> Galapagos, totally. Oh. It's so expensive, though, Nick. Oh. Do you know? Well, it's like a long, 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 long-term plan, but, you know, so far I'm just looking at the IG, you know, what are the animals there? Yeah. Also, ini, um, uh, oh man, I forgot the, Tonga, Tonga. You can actually, not diving, but you can swim with whales. I would love to do that. Oh man, it's so good. Yeah, it's I saw videos of people doing it. You can yeah. literally swim with the whales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Side by side. Yeah. Yeah. Tonga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would be sick. Yeah. Cool. Anything you want to mention in like your Instagram or uh, some work you're doing? Anything to um to plug, as they say, to market? Anything you want to um, publish, market, social media or projects or something? It's your chance. Hmm. No, not really. But I would just encourage people to try to adopt more sustainable daily living. And it's so easy to do from your household. Basically, stop using single-use anything. Not just plastics, yeah. Single-use anything is bad. So stop mm. using single-use anything. And just try to reduce your waste as much as you can. Um, and that's what I'm doing. And it, it, it also... And it's not just waste, meaning garbage, yeah. It's waste also with your uh, your things that you own, like clothes and, uh, you know, everything, your furniture, your computer, your phone. You know, yeah. if, if people uh, change them so frequently, there's more and more and more waste that you produce, right? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of secondhand things. So I would get secondhand things from anyone who would, would want to, you know, throw out their stuff. And if they're still good, I would use it. I don't care. But if that's one of the ways that you can reduce waste by reusing things that you can reuse. So in my house, like I have a lot of pots that comes from, um, you know, glass jars from your pasta sauce or whatever. And yeah, basically just reduce consumption to reduce waste. Great. Great. Awesome. And we like that and we hope uh, everyone will do that. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, have a good podcast with you and uh, I hope to see you again soon. Yes, we should meet up soon. <laughs> Catch up. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Nick. Take care. Okay. Bye. You bye too. Bye.